0: Chapter twenty eight of Eben Holden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Eben Holden A Tale of the North Country by Irving Batchelor. Chapter twenty eight. The folks of Faraway have been carefully, if rudely, pictured, but the look of my own person, since I grew to the stature of manhood, I have left wholly to the imagination of the reader. I will wager he knew long since what manner of man I was and has measured me to the fraction of an inch and knows even the color of my hair and eyes from having been so long in my company. If not, well, I shall have to write him a letter. When uncle Eb and I took the train for New York that summer in eighteen sixty, some fifteen years after we came down Paradise Road with the dog and wagon and pack-basket, my head, which, in that far day, came only to the latitude of his trouser pocket, had now mounted six inches above his own. That is all I can say here on that branch of my subject. I was leaving to seek my fortune in the big city. Uncle Eb was off for a holiday, and to see Hope and to bring her home for a short visit. I remember with what sadness I looked back that morning at mother and father, as they stood by the gate, slowly waving their handkerchiefs. Our home, at last, was emptied of its young, and even as they looked, the shadow of old age must have fallen suddenly before them. I knew how they would go back into that lonely room, and how, while the clock went on with its ticking, Elizabeth would sit down and cover her face a moment, while David would make haste to take up his chores. We sat in silence a long time after the train was off, a mighty sadness holding our tongues. Uncle Eb, who had never ridden a long journey on the cars before, had put on his grand suit of broadcloth. The day was hot and dusty, and before we had gone far, he was sadly soiled. But a suit never gave him any worry once it was on. He sat calmly, holding his knee in his hands, and looking out of the open window a squint in his eyes that stood for some high degree of interest in the scenery what do you think of this country i inquired looks pretty fair said he as he brushed his face with his handkerchief and coughed to clear his throat of the dust but tain't quite so pleasant to the taste as some other parts of the country i rather like the flavor of st lawrence all through "'But Jefferson is a little gritty,' he put down the window as he spoke. "'A little tobacco will improve it some,' he added as his hand went down for the old silver box. "'The way these cars do rip along, consarned if it ain't like flyin', "'kinda makes me feel like a bird.'" The railroad was then not the familiar thing it is now in the North Country the bull in the fields had not yet come to an understanding of its rights and was frequently tempted into argument with a locomotive bill fountain who came out of a back township one day had even tied his faithful hound to the rear platform our train came to a long stop for wood and water near midday and then we opened the lunch basket that mother had given us neighbor "'said a solemn-faced man who sat in front of us. "'Do you think the cars are agin' the Bible? "'Do you think a Christian ought to ride on em? "'Certain,' said Uncle Eb. "Lest the constable's after him. "'Then I think he ought to be on a bulky hoss.' "'Wife and I he's talked it over a good deal,' said the man. "'Some says it's agin' the Bible.' THE MINISTER AT PREACHES OVER IN OUR NEIGHBOURHOOD SAYS IF GOD HAD WANTED MEN TO FLY, HE'D HAD GIVEN HIM WINGS. SUPPOSE IF HE'D EVER WANTED HIM TO SKATE, HE'D HAD HIM BORN WITH SKATES ON, SAID UNCLE Eb. DUNNO, SAID THE MAN. IT BEHOOVES US ALL TO BE CAREFUL. THE BIBLE SAYS GO NOT AFTER NEW THINGS. MY FRIEND, SAID UNCLE Eb, BETWEEN BITES OF A DONUT. I don't care what I ride in so long as taint a hearse. I want something that's comfortable and purty middlin' spry. It'll do us good up here to get jerked a few hundred miles and back every little while. Keep our joints limber. We'll live longer for it, and that'll please God, sure, cause I don't think he's hankerin' for our society, not a bit. Don't make no difference to him whether we ride in a spring wagon or on the cars so long as we're right side up and movin' We need more steam. We're too dumb slow. Kind of think a little more steam in our religion wouldn't hurt us a bit. It's pretty far behind. We got to Albany in the evening, just in time for the night boat. Uncle Eb was a sight in his dusty broadcloth when we got off the cars, and I know my appearance could not have been prepossessing. Once we were aboard the boat and had dusted our clothes and bathed our hands and faces, we were in better spirits. "Gone sarn it," said Uncle Eb as we left the washroom. "Let's have a durn good supper. I'll stand treat." Comes a little bit high, he said as he paid the bill. But I don't care if it does. Fore we left, I says to myself, "Uncle Eb says I." You go right in for a good time, and don't you count the pennies. Everybody's a right to be reckless once in seventy-five year. We went to our stateroom a little after nine. I remember the berths had not been made up, and removing our boots and coats, we lay down upon the bare mattresses. Even then, I had a lurking fear that we might be violating some rule of steamboat etiquette when i went to new york before i had dozed all night in the big cabin a dim light came through the shuttered door that opened upon the dining saloon where the rattle of dishes for a time put away the possibility of sleep i'll be awful glad to see hope said uncle eb as he lay gaping guess i'll be happier to see her than she will to see me i said what put that in your head Uncle Eb inquired. "Afraid we've got pretty far apart," said I. "Shame on you, Bill," said the old gentleman. "If that's so, ye ain't done right. Hadn't order to let a girl like that get away from ye. "'They ain't another like her in this world." "I know it," I said. "But I can't help it. Somebody's cut me out, Uncle Eb." "Tain't so." he said emphatically. You want to prance right up to her. I'm not afraid of any woman, I said, with a great air of bravery. But if she don't care for me, I ought not throw myself at her. Jerusalem, said Uncle Eb, rising up suddenly. What have I gone and done? He jumped out of his berth quickly, and in the dim light, i could see him reaching for several big sheets of paper adhering to the back of his shirt and trousers i went quickly to his assistance and began stripping off the broadsheets which covered with some strongly adhesive substance had lain a firm hold upon him i rang the bell and ordered a light consarn it all what be they plasters said uncle eb quite out of patience "'Pieces of brown paper, covered with West India molasses, I should think,' said I. "'West Indy molasses!' he exclaimed. "'By mighty! That makes me hotter'n a pancake. "'What's it on the bed for?' "'To catch flies,' I answered. "'And catched me!' said Uncle Eb, as he flung the sheet he was examining into a corner." "'My extra good suit, too.' He took off his trousers then, holding them up to the light. "'They're spoilt,' said he mournfully. "'Had em for more'n ten year, too.' "'That's long enough,' I suggested. "'Got kind of attached to him, he said, looking down at them and rubbing his chin thoughtfully. Then we had a good laugh. "'You can put on the other suit.' I suggested, and when we get to the city we'll have these fixed. "'Little sorry, though,' said he, "'cause that other suit don't look real grand. This here one has been purty, pretty scrumptious in its day, if I do say it.' "'You look good enough in anything that's respectable,' I said. "'Kinda wanted to look a little extra good, as you might say.' said Uncle Eb, groping in his big carpet bag. Hope, she's terrible proud, and if they should have a little fiddlin' and dancin' some night, we'd want to be as stylish as any on em. Believe I'll go and get me a spang brand-new suit anyway, fore we go up to Fuller's. As we neared the city, we both began feeling a bit doubtful as to whether we were quite ready for the ordeal. I ought to. I said, "Those I'm wearing aren't quite stylish enough, I'm afraid." They're handsome," said Uncle Eb, looking up over his spectacles. "But maybe they ain't just as splendid as they ought to be." How much money did David give you? One hundred and fifty dollars," I said, thinking it a very grand sum indeed. "Tain't enough," said Uncle Eb, bolting up at me again leastways not if you're gonna have a new suit. I want you to be spick and span." He picked up his trousers, then, and took out his fat leather wallet. "'Lock the door,' he whispered. "'Pop goes the weasel,' he exclaimed, good-naturedly, and then he began counting the bills. "'I'm not going to take any more of your money, Uncle Eb,' I said. "'Tut-tut,' said he. Don't you try to interfere. What do you think they'll charge in the city for a real splendid suit? He stopped and looked up at me. Probably as much as fifty dollars, I answered. Phew! he whistled. Pretty steep, that is certain. Let me go as I am, said I. Time enough to have a new suit when I've earned it. Well he said as he continued counting. "'I guess you've earned it already. "'You've studied hard and took first honors, "'and you're going where folks are pretty middle and proud and haughty. "'I want you to be a regular high-stepper with a nice slick coat.' "'There,' he whispered as he handed me the money. "'Take that, and don't you never tell it. "'I gin it to you.' "'I could not speak for a little while as I took the money,' for thinking of the many, many things this grand old man had done for me. "'Do you think these boots'll do?' he asked as he held up to the light the pair he had taken off in the evening. "'They look all right,' I said. "'Ain't got no decent squeak to em now, and they seem to look kind of clumsy. "'How are your'n?' he asked. "'I got them out from under the berth, and we inspected them carefully.' deciding in the end they would pass muster. The steward had made up our berths when he came and lit our room for us. Our feverish discussion of attire had carried us far past midnight when we decided to go to bed. "'Suppose we mustn't talk to no strangers there in New York,' said Uncle Eb as he lay down i've read in the tribune how they'll pretend to be friends and then grab your money and run like sam hill if i meet any of them fellers they're going to find me pretty middle and poor company we were up and on deck at daylight viewing the palisades the lonely feeling of an alien hushed us into silence as we came to the noisy and thickening river craft at the upper end of the city Countless window panes were shining in the morning sunlight. This thought was in my mind that somewhere in the innumerable host on either side was the one dearer to me than any other. We inquired our way at the dock and walked to French's Hotel on Printing House Square. After breakfast, we went and ordered all the grand new things we had planned to get. They would not be ready for two days, and after talking it over, we decided to go and make a short call hope who had been up and looking for us a long time gave us a greeting so hearty we began to get the first feeling of comfort since landing she was put out about our having had breakfast i remember and said we must have our things brought there at once i shall have to stay at the hotel a while i said thinking of the new clothes why said mrs fuller this girl has been busy a week fixing your rooms and planning for you we could not hear of your going elsewhere it would be downright ingratitude to her a glow of red came into the cheeks of hope that made me ashamed of my remark i thought she looked lovelier in her pretty blue morning gown covering a broad expanse of crinoline than ever before and you've both got to come and hear me sing tonight at the church, said she. I wouldn't have agreed to sing if I had not thought you were to be here. We made ourselves at home, as we were most happy to do, and that afternoon I went downtown to present to Mr. Greeley the letter that David Brower had given me. End of chapter twenty eight, recording by Roger Moline.